God gave you 100,000 watts of power, but it's up to you to put them to work. This is the John Adams Radio Show. Bringing you truth, justice, and the American way of making money. I'm John Adams. Seated firmly in the free enterprise chair, speaking directly into the golden EMR microphone, this is Excellence in Money Radio. Coming to you live from an undisclosed location in a bunker somewhere in the southeastern United States, perhaps Southern Command Headquarters, on beautiful St. Simons Island, the crown jewel of Georgia's coastal empire. Thence broadcast 23,300 miles directly into outer space. This week affiliates, SATCOM 5. Thence rebroadcast all across the fruited plain to our vast EMR network, 331 stations plus the island of Guam. That's just the way it is. I am thrilled to have you with us for this special edition of the John Adams Radio Show. Let not your hearts be troubled. We will solve your real estate problems today. Because as long as I'm here, it doesn't matter where here is. And uh, here we are, fellow conversationalists, as we embark on another journey into broadcast excellence. Glad to have you with us on this uh, Saturday morning, coast to coast with John Adams on the weekend. Um, we have got a tremendous amount to cover today, and I would begin by reminding you, boys and girls, that we are potentially, I pray that this is not the case, but we are potentially on the edge of World War III. It's times like this when things can spin out of control very quickly, I'm not predict predicting this, and I'm not trying to scare anybody. I just want you to know where we are. And I suspect, like me, you've been watching this thing saying, what's going on? And I'm going to give you the answer right now. This is all about energy. This is all about energy energy. And this is all about anyone who says to you that the most serious problem facing the world today is climate change is naive at best. That's my personal opinion. I'd like to hear yours. So, uh, you are welcome to um, put your comment in Q&A 
and I'll be delighted to try to respond to it. I don't pretend to be an expert on this. All I'm telling you is we're not far. This is the closest we have been to global thermonuclear war since I was in elementary school, since the Bay of Pigs, since the blockade of Cuba. And it doesn't help to hear that Vladimir Putin, who is nothing but a KGB thug, to hear that he may be uh, mentally unstable. But anyway, this is all about energy. Now, I've put on the screen here a quote that I find to be profound. It is by from Albert Einstein, who said, I know not with what weapons World War III will be fought, but World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. And boy, I hope he's wrong. I hope we don't have World War III. But uh, so much for pontificating. It's time for real estate. And I want to begin with a special thank you to our sponsors, EXP Realty. If you are a licensee of the Georgia Real Estate Commission or of any state real estate commission anywhere in these United States or Canada, and you're thinking about a career change, I'd love to talk to you because I have placed my license with eXp Realty, and I've created a website to answer some of your questions. Please go to partnerwithjohnadams.com. By the way, if any of you wants to list or sell um, or buy a house anywhere, go there as well. Leave me a message. I'll get back to you. We're also brought to you today by the Real Estate Marketing Cruise. Uh, which departs a year from a month ago. So in 11 months, you and I and Margie and perhaps your significant other or a friend or fellow investor will go with us to Miami, where on January 28th, we will climb aboard the Carnival Freedom. Now, here's the scoop. I booked this thing when cruising was at the bottom when Carnival was thinking about going out of business and they were giving rooms away. We are locked in on a price, but, and you don't, and, and furthermore, you can get a reservation today. Okay. And cancel it all the way through September. But if you don't get a reservation soon, you're going to be left behind. Now, those of you that have already turned in interest notices of interest at expocruise.com, you guys are locked in. I'm sending you an email, hopefully this afternoon. But for those of you that are sitting there saying, well, John, that's too far out. I have no way of knowing what I'm going to do in January of 2023. I can tell you what you're going to be doing. You're going to be sitting around wishing that you were in Miami with the rest of us headed off to St. Martin and to 
wherever else we're going, Puerto Rico, uh, some, and uh, Amber Cove, beautiful. And I'll be having some more pictures about that starting next week. But my advice to you is to go to expocruise.com right now. It's cheaper for you to go on this cruise than it is for you to stay at home. How can I say that? Because they're going to feed you. They're going to give you all the activities you want or none if you don't want them. And by the way, some of you are saying, well, I can't get away. I have to be connected to the internet the entire time. They have improved the internet dramatically on these ships. And Margie and I just go ahead and buy the internet package so that we have the premium level from the moment we step on the ship until the moment we step off. So I'm just telling you, it's going to be a blast and we're going to have a lot of fun. And we'd love for you to think about coming with us. Go to expocruise.com for more information. And uh, here's where we're going. Ooh, cool. I forgot. St. Thomas. Uh, this is January 28th, 2023 until February 5th, eight nights sailing from Miami. And we'll be going to Amber Cove which is in the Dominican Republic, San Juan, Puerto Rico, St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and St. Martin, which is an interesting place. If you've never been, you need to go, and if you've been, you'll want to go back. But uh, it's 70% fun, 30% learning, and I'll be teaching. Margie will be teaching. We'd love to have you join us. Okay? So much for that. We're also brought to you today by Peter Burke at Reliant Mortgage Solutions, who we will be hearing from. Peter has found a new loan program exclusively for investors just like you and me. You can't get it anywhere else. It's called the Discover Loan. And we're going to hear about it in detail today. Do not miss today's program. Uh, also, you're invited to join me at the Westminster Presbyterian Church Men's Bible Study every Thursday at 1.30 p.m. on the Zoom platform. It's led by our pastor, Reverend Aaron Messner, and it's very informal. People come and go as they are able. We are studying 1 John right now, and if it's of interest to you, shoot me an email. John Adams at money99.com, and we'll talk about it, okay? Get you a Zoom invitation, and you can see what it's all about. It lasts about uh, 60 minutes, and it just sort of helps me get grounded for the week. Uh, I really enjoy it. Anyway, so much for that. And the question right now is, who is John Adams, and why should you listen to me? Look at that good-looking rascal. Uh the answer is this. I have been a property manager in Georgia and a, a licensed broker for a long time. Um, I've had no complaints. I've never been arrested, never been bankrupt. I did write a little book called The Landlord Survival Guide, which we continue to update on a weekly basis. But most important of all, I'm an Eagle Scout, and that means I am trustworthy. So that's who I am. I would encourage you to turn off your phone, enter your questions in Q&A. If you will run your cursor down to the bottom of your screen, 
you should see a Q&A button, not raise hand, but a Q&A button. Click Q&A, and you'll have a chance to put in a question, which Margie will see, she'll tell me about, and I will try to answer, and so will Ian when he joins us. We'll be doing this for about 45 minutes. We'll have a little time for Q&A, and the recording of this hour and the next one will be available on realestatecoffeebreak.com. So don't forget, use Q&A for your questions. I'm reminded uh, that the truth about real estate is that landlords grow rich in their sleep. That was our friend John Stuart Mill, 19th century British economist. And it's true. So your 2022 goal, number one, should be to stay occupied and collect your rent. Number two, boost your income and lower your expenses at all available levels. And number three, borrow as much as you can for as long as you can while these interest rates are still incredibly low. Interestingly, I heard speculation that the Federal Reserve is so worried about this minor incursion into Ukraine and possibly beyond that they have gone soft on raising interest rates during the first quarter. The big bet was they were going to go up 50 basis points now they're thinking maybe 25 basis points, and there's a real possibility they will not raise interest rates at all as a way of shoring up confidence during this difficult time. One can only hope that Vlad, our good buddy, Vladimir Putin, will has bitten off more than he can chew, and he will simply give up and go home. Um, I don't know that that's going to be the case, but uh, I'm hoping. But anyway, you have an opportunity right now to lock in a low interest rate. Um, what happens is capital hates uncertainty. The stock market hates uncertainty. And things are very uncertain right now. And when that happens, there is a what's called a flight to safety, and people pull their money out of the stock market and put it in fixed, fixed return instruments like a United States Treasury bill, a 10-year T-bill. And that tends to drive yields down, and since mortgages tend to follow 30-year fixed-rate mortgages, tend to follow the 10-year T-bill, rates went down last week. Uh, but you're going to hear about a loan today that is going to blow your mind. This Discover loan, I've never heard of anything like it. And so stay tuned for that. Uh, you can retire comfortably on as few as 10 rental properties. And I would simply remind you of that because I think we are headed toward a, an economy and a system where the average American may no longer be able to afford to own their own home. 
And when that happens, we're going to be divided into a, a nation of two parts, the people that do own houses and the people that don't own houses. And I don't know what's going to happen to the people that don't. I guess they have to rent, but I want you to be in the group of the people that do own houses because you can retire on as few as 10 rental units, maybe even less. So what is your annual education budget? Because I believe the greatest investment in the world is not real estate. The greatest investment in the world is you. Right there between your ears, you have the most wonderful computer, the most amazing machine that's ever been created but you got to feed it. And so my question to you is, what is your annual education budget? And here's a challenge. Um, I've got a free webinar coming up. There's no charge. It's next Wednesday, and it's called Landlord Lessons. And this will be a lunch and learn webinar. We'll be on the Zoom platform Wednesday at 1 p.m. There's no cost, but you've got to register. Hey, Marge, can people register yet? Aunt Margie is working on registration right now, so we will revisit this, okay? But what are we going to be talking about? Hold on. 23, there. What we're going to be talking about is what's new in the 2023 killer lease, what's new in Georgia landlord-tenant law, what's new in terms of provisions for smoking and no smoking, uh, what's new in terms of provisions on mold and mildew. I think we finally got mold and mildew under control so that you are protected, your house is protected, and the tenant cannot use this as a, as a cudgel to cut off your head. Um, we're going to talk about new minimum requirements for rental applicants. We're going to talk about why Craigslist and Zillow are out and what, what you should be using right now. We'll talk about how to raise the rent every year and why, how to do it and why. And we'll finally talk about your role in 2023 as property manager and how that plays out to your benefit. Again, it's called Landlord Lessons. It's a lunch and learn webinar this Wednesday. By the way, you bring your own lunch. <laughs> Wednesday, March the 2nd, from 1 until 2 p.m. It is free, but you must register at money99.com. We'll be talking about what's new in 2022. Now, I want to talk about the Georgia Statute of Frauds. This is something with which you may not be familiar. And one of the things that I think you and I need to do is every week <coughs> learn a little bit about Georgia law as it relates to you and me as real estate investors. No, I don't want us to become junior attorneys. Uh, I think each of us needs an attorney that we can have access to to protect us. Uh, I'm I'm not an attorney. I'm simply a an experienced real estate broker trying to share with you what's worked for me. 
That doesn't mean it's right for everybody, but I do want you to know about some things. And the statute of frauds in Georgia is a section of the Georgia code that says these things are so important, they must be in writing. And several of them apply to you and me as real estate investors. So let's look at what they are. This won't take long. Again, you can come back and watch this later, but watch it right now. Slight pause here. The Georgia Statute of Frauds is spelled out under Title 13, Chapter 5, Article 2 of the Georgia Code. It specifically states the following. To make the following obligations binding on the promisor, the promise must be in writing and signed by the party to be charged therewith or some person lawfully authorized by him. 1. A promise by an executor, administrator, guardian, or trustee to answer damages out of his own estate. 2. A promise to answer for the debt, default, or miscarriage of another. 3. Any agreement made upon consideration of marriage, except marriage articles as provided in Article 3 of Chapter 3 of Title 19. 4. Any contract for sale of lands, or any interest in or concerning lands. 5. Any agreement that is not to be performed within one year from the making thereof. 6. Any promise to revive a debt barred by a statute of limitation. And 7. Any commitment to lend money. All right, so let's review real quickly. Let's see if I can get us to skip forward to 27. So the Georgia statute of frauds requires that if a contract deals with two, the sale of property, three, guaranteeing another's debts, four, terms of longer than one year. That would be a lease. And then uh, move on down, uh, sale of goods, executor, reviving debt, blah, 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 blah. These specifically, as far as you and I are concerned, two, three, and four must be in writing and signed by the party to be charged therewith. The party to be charged therewith is the one who will be agreeing to pay money to you as the landlord or to you as the seller. So we see in number two, all contracts for the sale of real estate must be in writing in order to be valid. Okay. I mean, you can, you can certainly do it verbally, but if either, either party says that's not what we agreed on, the deal's off. You can't prove anything because it wasn't in writing. So certainly um, anything dealing with the sale or purchase of real estate. Number three, guaranteeing another person's debts. Now, this is very interesting because the question came up last week, how do we handle a guarantor in our lease? Is it worthwhile getting a guarantor? Can we just add them as a 
um, occupant and let them just sign the lease? Well, you certainly can, but is that the best way? No. The best way is, in fact, to identify this person. Often this is, um, particularly if you have a younger tenant, somebody who's under 30, it's not at all unusual for a landlord to say, um, look, you do not have as much established credit as the owner would like to see. And we'd like to know, do you have anyone that might act as a guarantor here? For example, your parents. And it's just not at all unusual for mom and dad to step up and say, sure, I'll, I'll sign a, a guarantee agreement. You want them to be identified as a guarantor, not as an occupant of the property. Now, yes, if they sign as an occupant, they are liable for the debt, each and severally. However, they're also granted other rights that you may not want them to have, including occupancy. So number three, if there's a guarantor involved, you want a guarantor agreement, which is now part of the killer lease. We'll be talking about this in more detail come Wednesday. But number four, terms of longer than one year. What that means is that a lease of more than one year is not valid unless it's in writing. And what I'm telling you is you're crazy if you have a lease of one year or less and of any term, and it's not in writing. Because the law will protect the tenant more than you unless you have a piece of paper outlining the responsibilities of each party under the law and under the agreement. So why do we put things in writing? Because the Georgia statute of frauds requires it. Okay. And I just wanted you to become familiar with that. That's why we do things in writing. And that's another reason this is the Georgia legislature says at the very least, you need to do this stuff in writing. I'm saying to you, any lease agreement should be in writing. Otherwise, you it's just your word against theirs. And people sometimes have very shaky memories, especially when it comes to money they owe to you. So get it in writing and use the right forms. Also, use the right forms for a guarantor. Do not sign them on as just an occupant. Okay, so uh, let's go to, I think it's time for us to, it's half past, 29 minutes after the hour. I think this is a good time for us to talk with Peter about a new loan that he is bringing to the table for you and me as real estate investors. Here's what he has to talk about. Pay attention to this. And by the way, this is going to be posted on his website at peterburke.net. But the easiest thing to do is just give him a ring and say, how does this apply to me? What we're going to be talking about here is a new loan program that is non-conforming, <clears throat> that is not Fannie, Freddie, it's not FHA, VA, and it's not based on your income, and it's not based on your credit report. 
and I think you'll be interested. Let's watch right now. We are very fortunate today to have as our very special guest, Peter Burke of Reliant Mortgage Solutions, who once again brings us an innovative product for real estate investors. And this is one of the reasons that I enjoy doing this show is that I learn about offerings that may have been around for a long time, but fell out of favor or whatever, just because of changing conditions. And now what are we seeing? There's a new loan I've never heard of that Peter brought to my attention that I'm going to ask him to share with you today. And by the way, if you're watching right now, I'd get a pencil and paper and jot some of this down. Peter Burke, how are you today? Hello, John. Hello, everyone. It is a joy and a privilege to see you as always. You too. Thank you. You know, it's better to look good than to feel good. And we do, don't we? Absolutely. Thank you. That's what I thought you'd say. Um, I have some slides. You notified me this week of a loan that you felt like our tribe ought to know about. And you, you dubbed it the Discover Loan. And yes. I trust this has nothing to do with the Discover card. No, no, none whatsoever. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's look at the slides and see what we've got here. Uh, the first thing that jumps to mind, Peter, is that this is a familiar image. This is a $100 bill. Yes, it is. Legal tender. All debts, public and private. And uh, I even have a, a rug that exact, I mean, the big full size that has the image printed on it that I look at every day. It's just inspirational, but it doesn't really have anything to do with our loan here today. So we'll skip right past it, but it's a fun image to have. Yes. And we've labeled this, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> Discover the DSCR loan or Discover, and we're calling this the Discover loan. And it's available, uh, you have it at Reliant Mortgage Solutions. Um, I understand DSCR stands for, and this is sort of a tongue twister, debt service coverage ratio, DSCR investment home loans. Peter, what, what is a, I've never, why have I never heard of a Discover loan? Well, it's a loan that's available for investors who don't want to or can't use a conventional loan. And um, a minor component of it is calculating this ratio. So, the, which we don't do with other loans and it's just become its, its moniker, I guess is a good word. But it's available only for investment property, not for the home you live in. And it's a simpler way to qualify. Well, I'm all for simpler ways to qualify. So let's dive right in. The first thing we need to know is this is a non-conforming investor loan, and it's based on the cash flow experience of the investor rather than the traditional income expense and credit report parameters. And for me, immediately, Peter, that is a mind bender because I, for 40 years, I've been focused on learning exactly what Fannie and Freddie wanted so we could conform to that yes. so they would accept the loan. But you're saying under this new Discover loan, that's not the issue. 
and to further simplify it, we're only speaking of the property that you're trying to purchase or refinance in terms of determining the DSCR. You may have 15 properties, you're only asking to refinance one of them, and that's the only property that goes through this analysis, which is rather simple too. That sounds great. Uh, so these are an alternative to full dock loans are available to borrowers. You don't have to have a minimum number, but we have talked on this program before about the Fannie Mae limitation of either four or 10 uh, non-owner occupant loans in your portfolio before you're able to proceed to more. And at 10, they cut you off. Um, how are these people, this is just structured differently, so there's no limit to these? Yeah, don't worry about how many mortgages <laughs> you have um, or how many properties. It's, it's available for you for this property that you're trying to refinance. But it's common if you've got 10 or more properties and you're trying to refinance an 11, or it could be common if you just have one mortgaged property and you still don't otherwise qualify for a conventional loan. All right, well, I'm gonna call it the Discover Loan here. And DSCR is, is sort of an acronym um, for debt service coverage ratio. And that is, without getting technical here, simply a calculation of the monthly rental income divided by the monthly principal interest taxes and insurance that we're all so familiar with on the property. So let's look at uh, who these loans might be popular with. What about those with more than 10 finance properties? We've already talked about that. Yeah. Those who may not report sufficient income to qualify for a conventional loan. Now, this is very interesting because it's my job to report as little income as I am required to do under the IRS code. And as we've talked so many times, there's nothing illegal or immoral or improper about structuring your affairs so as to minimize the amount of tax that you that you do. Judge Learned Hand said famously almost 100 years ago, everyone does it and all do right. Yes. And, and so if I have sufficiently lowered legally my income, I may not be able to qualify for a conventional loan. There's the rub. That's exactly correct. Okay. And let's say that my income comes from, I have, Peter, I haven't told you this, a very lucrative cocaine dealership going on where I drive it back and forth from St. Simons to Decatur. Um, I, I call it Mule Incorporated. Sure. And we make a lot of money, but it doesn't all go on my tax returns. Um, and I don't want to share my tax returns because part of it does. And there's a real, there'll be a real headache there. This loan might work well for me, right? Absolutely. If you're not reporting your income from that business and 
yes, that's correct. Okay. All right. So thank goodness you didn't ask me about the morality of Mule Incorporated. So um, in what situations would an investor use a, again, I'm going to call it a discover loan, and how long a term can I get? I'm going to let you answer this, Peter. Well, when would I use it? And how long can I go out? You can use it to buy an investment property. It's got uh, uh, liberal uh, minimal down payment requirements. You can do it with 15%. Um, you can use it to refinance, uh, to pay off an existing loan or to do a cash out. And um, you can go up to 80% cash out. And um, uh, some people have this misnomer that this is short-term financing or it's it's an adjustable rate um you can do loan terms up to 40 years wow and you can get fixed or adjustable rates on this and you can also get interest only which runs with that 40 years uh 10 year interest only and then the remaining 30 years are amortizing so it's a full 40 years well, that's interesting. This seems much more flexible than what we talk about when we're talking about traditional Fannie Mae non-owner occupant financing, right? Which is very plain vanilla, straightforward, homogenous. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So how do I calculate the DSCR ratio? We take the monthly rent, divide it by the principal interest, taxes, and insurance, and we've got our ratio. And here's an example uh, where the monthly rent, very typical two, one or two bedroom house in Metro Atlanta, 1450 rent, and the uh, debt service for principal interest, taxes, and insurance is 873. So we've got 1450 divided by 873, 1.66. What does that number mean, Peter? Well, um, and again, we're only looking at the property in question, not all 10. Okay. So the property that you're trying to buy or refinance as an investment property, we determine what the rental income can be, monthly rent, and we're gonna talk through that in a moment. And then we do our calculation on our calculator. What is the PITI going to be? And as long as that number is greater than one, because uh, one would be the uh, rent is equal to the PITI, as long as it's at least equal to it, it meets qualifications. Well, if and, it's not, if it's below one, I'm not going to recommend that the person either buy it or certainly not buy it and not hold on to it if they own it correct i mean that 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 should be your own analysis sure. but in certain circumstances it can be done provided you have sufficient cash reserves um available to to show that you can support the shortfall very interesting and the uh who determines the rent well, if you're doing a refinance and you've got a lease in place with a tenant and you can show that they've made the recent mortgage uh, rent payment, um, we can use that. Or if the property is vacant, it's the appraiser's obligation to do it. Uh, understood. So are there other requirements here? It uh, looks like one to four units. 
one of the popular features of the Fannie Mae uh, and FHA program is that you can buy up to a, a fourplex and live in one side. And we've talked about that as a strategy. Um, does it strike you as odd that these Discover loans are one to four? Is is there a, um, does the industry just like one to four? Is that what's? You know, uh, it's, it's a benchmark that's been around longer than you and I, and I, I, that's what it is. You can actually do five units and above on a Discover loan, but for this discussion, we're keeping it to that one to four, but five units and above can also be done. Okay, very interesting. And now, credit scores. Um, you have hammered into our heads, Peter, the importance of credit scores if we have that as an option. Um, some people, some good people have hit rough times in the last few years and are still recovering from um, a period of devastating credit damage. Um, and you see here, they've tucked in 600 or above. That's pretty generous, isn't it? It, it is very generous. Uh, even to me, it's a little bit of a surprise to when you dig down into the guidelines to see that. Well, that's good. And then they're looking for experience owning and managing rental properties. I'm guessing to say that the majority of people that are viewing right now would probably qualify in terms of experience. Am I right? Yeah, that's an easy one with um, um, our listeners here. It, it, it's it, That's a clear and simple uh, uh, requirement to me. And sufficient reserves. Now, I got a little confused. What does this mean? But cash out can be considered for reserves. Well, if you're refinancing a property using a Discover loan and you've got 68000 that you anticipate coming from the closing, even though you don't have it today and you do need some reserves, you can consider the cash out that you're getting as part of the qualifying. Got it. That's sort of a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Very, very I, true. That is. I like that. I like it. And finally, the property has to be in at least average condition, according to the appraiser. This would not work on a, a house that is uninhabitable that you are acquiring to, and it, you wouldn't want to um, no. apply the loan here on a house that you were planning on spending a lot of money on getting the value up and and then selling that house or pulling cash out um the the in order for this loan to go through the property has to be habitable right correct and there's a a, a grading system but we typically rarely find uh a, a, an investor that's listening in on this show our audience the issue of condition never comes up and this is interesting because, as you know, condominiums have had sort of a, a checkered past in terms of qualifying yeah. for Fannie or for FHA VA, and some condos did and some condos didn't, and then they would put these artificial things on them like 
Well, if it's more than 75% non-owner occupant, we don't. How are condos eligible here? It just doesn't matter? Yeah, there are some stipulations, but they're, they seem to be rather simple and straightforward. And for an investor that has an investor condo that can't do it conventionally, this may be the, the simplest way to get that done, whether you're purchasing or refinancing an investment condo. Although there aren't many out there, but um, um, it, it can be done. One, and one interesting question, when we use that ratio, the DSCR ratio and the um, numerator, the operator. <laughs> numerator, denominator. Thank you, denominator um is piti do we add to that a monthly association fee of course yes okay just curious yeah good question but yes okay um and so what are typical loan to values and frankly this is something where um some investors have been disappointed with fannie and freddie over the last few years limiting investors You've got a purchase loan up to 85% here. For a yeah. non-owner occupant, that's pretty good. And to further make that interesting, that 15% down payment, some of it can come from gift funds, which has always been a no-no with conventional investor loans. So in that interesting situation where you want to buy an investment property and use gift funds, for a portion of it, this is uh, the avenue to do it. Very interesting, sort of shades of the delayed financing strategy, but yeah. on an entirely different program, but very interesting. This is one of the reasons I tell people just to call you, because there's so many options out there. So you're saying I can do a refi cash out. I thought these were limited to 75 for conventional loans. 80% for a discover. That's okay. All right. I'm beginning to like these better. Refinance, no cash out loans up to 85%. So if I just want to lock in a rate or uh, and I'm not pulling cash out, I can go up to 85. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. If you're Good. paying off a short-term loan on the property or, or, or something, yeah, it's a good alternative. Good program. So if people want more information, uh, Peter, they can pick up the phone right now. Call you 678-557-9759. There's your email address and your many um, license numbers, which we always want to disclose uh, over and over and over because yes. we're so proud that you are licensed. Absolutely. And I like to keep it that way. Okay, well, let's do that. 678-557-9759. Now you have a friend in the mortgage business. Call Peter Burke. I say pick up the phone and start the conversation because the reality here is that there are so many different scenarios and different possible programs that unless you're doing this full time, and you bring with you the experience that Peter does, I don't see how anybody could keep up uh, who's not full-time in the business, how they could keep up with, with what's out there. And I'd never heard of a Discover loan until today. Do you, 
you're welcome to call or text if you want a um, want to see these slides. I'd be more than happy to share them with anyone. Fantastic. We'll do that. Peter Burke, 678-557-9759. Peter, thank you. Thank we'll you. see you again next week. Take care, everybody. Be safe. All right, folks, we'll be right back. Very interesting. Um, I had never heard of this type of loan before, and we are very, there we go. And Peter tells me it's been around for a while, but I just, I don't know how I could spend 40 years in this business and not um, have come across that before. And for those of you that have 10 or more properties, or for those of you that um, may have some damage on your credit report, I mean, once you hit 10 mortgaged properties that appear on your credit report, uh, you are ineligible to get a GSE loan. What is GSE? Government-sponsored enterprise. That's Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA, Farmers Home, and there are some others, but those are the major ones. And the only way around that is to use a GSE loan to acquire your next principal residence, which pretty much means you're locked into living there for at least a year. Okay. And if, if that's not what you want to do, then that would not be an attractive situation. In contrast, I think this is quite attractive and something that, uh, that you might want to do. So I just bring it to your attention. It's the Discover loan. It is not based on your tax return. Uh, it's not the same as a stated income loan, but there are elements of it. And this is a, uh, uh, by the way, in terms of rates, probably it's going to be a little more expensive than a GSE loan because it is not underwritten by the government of the United States. But nonetheless, it's available. And with rates as low as they are right now, uh, this could be good for you. So I bring that to your attention. Um, let's go back to, and I would like to, um, there we go. Let's see if I can figure out. Uh, real quick review with you, as we've talked about in some other um, broadcasts, Eight things you need to be thinking about right now, whether you are getting started investing in real estate or whether you are stalled. And I'm finding a lot of people that I'm talking with are stalled right now. I've, everybody is saying to me, John, things are way too expensive. And so we have got to wait until prices come down so that we can find some bargains. The problem is we don't know when that will be. And I do believe one day prices will come down. We'll have a recession or we'll have a depression. Uh, I hope not, but if history is correct, we will. And so I would encourage you, let's go back to basics for just a minute. And let's spend a few minutes here talking about 
these eight steps. Number one, you need to get a real estate education. And this does not mean $25,000 in a week in Las Vegas. This means taking advantage of the experience of people that you know and trust. And I hope I'm one of those people. And that's why we're having the landlord lessons this coming Wednesday at 1 p.m., which I'll talk about in just a minute. Um, but take advantage of opportunities to stay up with the business. One of the reasons that I invite Peter Burke on is that he always brings us innovative solutions like the um, delayed financing strategy, which I was so impressed with. And now this week, the Discover Loan. So that's number one, get educated, know what you're talking about. Number two, build a network. I want you to surround yourself with a team of professionals. And Ian, if you're listening, you and I should talk one week. We should spend a full hour on who the right people are for that team of professionals. I'm going to name a few right now. You should start with a handyman. If you're going to be owning rental real estate, you need access to a handyman because you can't afford to pay a licensed plumber to go stop a leaky faucet. The plumber's going to charge you 125, 150 bucks just for the service call. And then another 150 for stopping the leak, all of which took him all of which 60 seconds, but that's beside the point. You're out $250. This has happened to me. You don't want to do this. And you don't need a licensee, a, a person holding a master plumber's license to light a pilot light on a hot water heater. Okay, so you need a handyman. You need contacts that are real estate professionals and have access to the multiple listing service so they can be acting as bird dogs to send you opportunities. And you need to cultivate those people. How many? It's entirely up to you, but I certainly would not be unhappy if you called me and said, John, I've got four real estate agents that I contact each one uh, once a month and tell them exactly what I'm looking for and remind them that I'm ready to buy and that I will not participate in the commission. They get all of the commission. See what I'm doing? Okay. So build a network. So you've got the handyman who can fix things for you. You've got uh, four different, um, um, Agents who are feeding you opportunities that you're looking at. You need a real estate attorney. I'm talking about someone who already understands what it is you are trying to accomplish. And if you don't have a real estate attorney, call me and I'll get you a real estate attorney. Okay. Uh, you need, um, I think, an appraiser who understands what it is you are trying to accomplish. If you spend most of your time as an investor having to educate people on what it is you're trying to accomplish, you're wasting your time. That's what happened to me. 
before I wised up and said, I'm using the wrong lender. I was using Decatur Federal Savings and Loan Association because I knew people there and they were wonderful people. Unfortunately, they don't make investor type loans. Well, they, now they're out of business, so it doesn't matter. But I was trying to beat a square peg into a round hole. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't my fault. It just was a waste of time. And after all these years, I've found somebody that understands mortgage lending for real estate investors better than I do. His name is Peter Burke. Now, he's not the only lender in Georgia who is licensed and understands investment loans, but he's the best. Why do you think he's been selected as a sponsor for this program? Next, you need an accountant, and you need an accountant who understands what it is you're trying to accomplish, okay? You don't have time to be educating the accountant on how the IRS treats real estate investors. Your accountant ought to be telling you. See what I'm saying? So you, you need this team of professionals around you that you can call upon at any time that you've already established, sorry, established relationships with whom you've already established relations and relationships. You need a insurance underwriter who already understands what it is you're trying to accomplish. Because if you get hold of somebody who's not a real estate investor, they're going to say, oh, we don't do investor properties. Well, but we sure would like your own personal residence. Well, of course they'd like that. There are no claims on personal residences to speak of. Uh, but there are insurance companies out there that do a great job and are happy working with rental investors. Just got to know who they are. That's why you listen to this program, okay? Uh, then you need to, well, let's move on from building a network because it's already noon and I need to take a break. Um, I'll tell you what, we will come back to this um, another time, but I, I just wanted to give you some ideas. These are the types of things that we'll be talking about on our landlord lessons. And I would love for you to join us. Uh, let me see if I can find that real quick. All right. All right. Let's see here. We're going to go to, um, I want to invite all of you to come to a webinar this coming Wednesday, March the 2nd from 1 to 2 p.m. And it's a lunch and learn. We're going to be on Zoom platform, just like we are now. And it's called Landlord Lessons. And here's what we're going to be talking about on this particular edition of Landlord Lessons. What's new in the 23 killer lease? What's new in Georgia ten landlord tenant law? Specifically, some of our hot buttons are smoking, mold and mildew, and minimum requirements for applicants. By the way, I left out of this list 
We also have some new ideas from HUD on how to deal with um, service animals and emotional support animals. And they're not the same thing and they don't require the same response. So we'll, if we have time, we'll get into that too. If not, we'll make that a special segment. But I'd love for you to join us. Um, again, it's going to be this Wednesday. And to sign up, you have to go to realestatecoffeebreak.com. This says money99.com. That won't work. You have to go to realestatecoffeebreak.com and sign up for the Landlord Lessons webinar this coming Wednesday. Okay? So let's do this. It is time for us to take a break. Uh, we are going to have an intermission now. You have four minutes to go get a fresh cup of coffee. As you can see, mine has gotten cold here, so I'm going to have to pour this out. Maybe I'll just go heat it up. It's just as good to heat it up, I think. Anyway, I'll be back in four minutes. Don't touch that dial. And we are back for the second hour of the John Adams radio show. This is the landlord hour. And uh, I am thrilled to be with you. Uh, let's stop sharing, at least for right now. There we go. And uh, what do I need to do here? Trying to figure out what I need to do to make that full screen. That's weird. Well, I don't know. Um, some of you are aware that I visited the ophthalmologist this week, which is one reason I'm wearing glasses more than usual. Uh, my eyes are fine. Thank you. Um, however, the um, doctor did, uh, let's just say, played with my eyes a little bit. <laughs> And as a result, I have a swollen eyelid over here. Um, several of you have expressed uh, concern about that. I am fine. I am doing great. And um, while I will not be on Fox 5 this Tuesday, uh, because it might take several more days for the swelling to uh, uh, settle down, the doc says I'm doing great and there will be no ill effects and my devastatingly handsome self will be back uh, in time for Wednesday, I hope. So that's the scoop, but thank you for your concern. Now, um, I want to, let's bring on, oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to answer some questions here while Ian joins us. Um, and we've got so many good questions this week. Angela says, can you please tell me who in the Atlanta area you would recommend as a good tax accountant for a real estate investor? I usually do my own taxes. Uh, yes. Angela, would you reach out to me directly and send me an email? The easiest way to do that is you can go to 
um, money99.com and click on contact. Or you can go to realestatecoffeebreak.com and click on contact. And there you'll have an opportunity to send me an email. Um, I'd, I'd like to know just a little more about your situation. And I will uh, uh, make sure you get to the right person. Okay. Um, RB says, I have an elderly tenant that's been in a property for a few years. Okay. Uh, after refinancing, I found that her rent is very low. Any suggestions how I can keep her as a tenant? I've thought about Section 8, pros and cons. Well, obviously, if you've got an elderly tenant and you like them, um, you may not be able to get to, it's possible you will not be able to get to market uh, rent. Market a rent, in order to achieve market rent, you have to be prepared to move outside the ability of some people to pay. And elderly tenants have a tendency to be on a fixed income. I don't know this person's income situation, um, but you got them into this by allowing them to stay there a number of years and never raising the rent. My advice to you now is that you go sit down with this elderly tenant and tell them how much you have appreciated them over the years and that they've been a wonderful tenant, but that your taxes and your insurance and your maintenance costs have gone way up and could they afford an additional $100? I would be afraid that if you asked for more than $100, it would scare them off. Um, but certainly if you've asked for $100 a month, um, that would at least be a start. Um, alternatively, you can go to them and say, look, the market rent is $400 more, but I'm afraid that the shock would be so much that either they might die, <laughs> just fall over dead <laughs> from the shock, or um, maybe live somewhere else that's less expensive. Certainly, probably not as nice, but there are yeah. less expenses. I'm Please. Trouble promoting Peter for some reason. You mean Ian? Hey, I'm Ian. Can you pull up the uh, attendees? The attendees. Yes, I've got to minimize this. And here are the participants. Okay. And we're going to get Ian. Ah, we're promoting Ian to panelist here. There. All right, Ian, you are muted, so make sure you turn your microphone on, and we are thrilled to have you join us momentarily. Um, but I think it's interesting that... Hi, John. Uh, oh, hi, Ian. How are you, sir? We're... I am doing terrific, and I'm almost in place, but John, your first hour was so good. I took so many notes, and I have a question for you, if you don't mind. Yes, sir. Fire away. And that was great with Peter Burke. And, uh, and and I know we have to start the conversation and Peter would know, but I, I'm just so curious that maybe you know, uh, with these Discover loans, they sound great. And my question is what changed? What What's brought them into the spotlight now that wasn't there you know, two or three years ago? Um, as interest rates climb, 
or as fear of interest rates climbing enters the picture, as it has now, there are lending institutions that say, you know what, I can no longer afford to not be in the game of lending on real estate because it is lucrative. When interest rates hit rock bottom, it just was not whoever buys these loans, typically, Ian, it's uh, insurance companies. And think about it for a second. Every month, you send a check to your insurance company, and you're saying, I bet you $100 I'm going to die this month. And they are saying, no, we bet you $50,000 you won't die this month. And, and they've got all this money because there are thousands and thousands of people sending in $100 a month, and they know statistically that the vast majority of them are not going to die because they know when you're going to die. They know when I'm going to die. because That's what that science is called. But anyway, um, they've got all this money that they have to invest to have it ready when you do die, which is going to be many, many, many years from now, but they'll pay off on your life insurance policy when that happens. And what can they invest in? They like to invest in real estate. And one of the things that really surprised me in talking to Peter about these Discover loans is that they can go up to 40 years in duration. Who in the world wants a 40, wants to hold a 40-year loan? Well, an insurance company. Because they have calculated um again, they know when statistically you're likely to die and they've got to have a certain amount of money ready uh, for that day. And they've got these huge amounts of money. That's why most major office buildings are owned by insurance companies because they're great long-term investments. They don't pay as much as you might earn on in the stock market, but they're almost risk-free. And that's, that's why these things are now becoming available. I just didn't know um, that, that they're out there yet. And I give Peter Burke credit for that because he called up and he said, are you familiar with these Discover loans? And I just, I, I had, in 40 years, Ian, I'd never heard of one of these loans. Neither have I, and I don't have your experience, John, but it sort of reminded me of a hard money lender, but you made it clear in the beginning that this is not hard money, but what I appreciated was the end of the conversation, and that was the money down. By the way, you got me in my go to the moving warehouse of attire and get boxes, but didn't have time to get ready. But the information was so good, John. I just was taking notes trying to get here. So, <laughs> Ian, yeah, we are awesome. always, always happy to see you in whatever form you're able to join us. And this, you know, many people, uh, there's sort of this cult worship thing going on with Ian Robbins where people <laughs> think he is, is, you know, like elevated above us. 
But now you see he's just a normal human. Like, I mean, I'll bet you bleed red and everything, right? I do, and I get a lot of free boxes for people. But, John, you mentioned uh, a team, and I got to share with you what happened this past Thursday because uh, I wrote down your list of team people, a lawyer, CPA, uh, lender, handyman, insurance. Can't read my writing on that one. And But we had a flooring couple speak with us on Thursday. And what was interesting is these people were not used to Zoom or speaking, but I knew they knew their stuff and got them on. And uh, it wasn't that I was right. They were incredible. I didn't understand half of what they talked about, but they knew flooring. And flooring to me is not something that I really care or want to know about, but I have to know about. And I, I want to be around a team. And that's what you're talking about. And let them do the work. And they did a fantastic job. Well, this, I, I just, I go back to my own failure, which was a painful lesson for me. And I hope nobody will, will do what I did. But I literally thought, well, I know these people at Decatur Federal. I know they're good people. It was right at the time that SNLs were going through very difficult times. Um, this was in the mid, late 70s, early 80s. And in fact, as you know, I don't, are there any savings and loan associations left anywhere? If there are, I'm not aware of it. Um, I, I, I think they were mostly snapped up by banks. That certainly Decatur Federal, unbeknownst to most people, was the largest thrift institution or SNL in the state of Georgia. And they had offices all over the state. Um, and they were the largest lender in the state of Georgia. And because I knew people at Decatur Federal, I thought surely I can get them to make loans that will be good loans for me, but good loans for them because I intend to pay the money back. <coughs> Ian, it was like literally trying to pound a square peg into a round hole. It just... It, it was frustrating for them. It was frustrating for me. And I wasted time trying to educate them on why lending to me was okay. Whereas if I had known to go to somebody who is already aware of what it is I'm trying to accomplish, I could have used that same energy to find more deals. Absolutely. And that's where we get back to this team of professionals. And, and uh, so uh, I, I think you and I should spend a little time in, in and I'll ask you to uh, uh, put this in the hopper, but we ought to do a whole show on the, so who you would want ideally to have lined up as your team. And it's not like these people are full-time employees. They simply are resources to whom you can reach out when the occasion arises. But if you get the right people in your corner, it is a real, real help in achieving your goals. So um, 
Well, I'm delighted. Uh, thank you for bringing that burst of energy to the program because I I just wanted to make sure things were were moving along there. Um, you know, uh, with, you, with your Mule Inc. company, we could put Bell Bondsman as our team player, you know, have one of those available. But just, just want to lighten it up here on the, on the <laughs> having a bell. Having a I'm, bell I'm a, hopefully, we will not need a Bell Bondsman because none of us is going to jail. Um, I but had shared. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. That, that Mule Inc. program that you got going on with the cocaine. You, you uh, might need- yes. As you know, that was in jest. And I, um, I will have to admit, I until a few years ago, Ian, I don't think I had ever seen any cocaine. And l- I certainly never used it. And I was taking a group of investors around to, to look at, we were on a caravan to look at about six or eight houses. And on this one house, we did a walk around the exterior of the house. It was vacant, but my eye caught a flash of silver at the base of a swing set. And I just went over to see what it was. And it was the tip of a spoon sticking out of the dirt under the swing set. And so I pulled that out and I noticed that the spoon had a little plastic baggie uh, rubber banded to it. And also within the rubber band was a Bic lighter. <laughs> now you found it. Good. I'm glad you I know. Found it. I am so stupid. I didn't know what it was. And somebody in the group said, you idiot, that is how people use cocaine. They put it in the spoon, heat it up, and then they will inject it into themselves in liquid form. And I did not know that, but I put it back for fear that someone was watching and would kill me for having disturbed it. So that is my soul. And I don't even know that it was cocaine, but it was a white powder. So I think we better leave it at that. How about that? Well, John, you're right. But I also appreciated your answer to the question about the elderly uh, tenant. And I even wrote down a quote that you need to, quote, move outside some people's ability to pay. And I so much appreciate that wisdom, John, because that makes total sense. I've noticed, as I've been talking about raising the rents, I am getting a different level of people in, in, in income. And, but like you said, moving outside some ability to pay. And that's not negative. It's just a different people who buy uh, Porsches or have a different ability to pay than people who buy four Tauruses like me. And well, and, and yeah. And the other thing is you can't be all things to all people. If you're going to be a real estate investor, you have to, Um, either, and there's, by the way, let me say this from a personal perspective. If you own a piece of property and you wish to lose money on it or just break even or whatever you choose to do, that is your business. And you have my blessings. God bless America. It's still, we're we're free. And if you have, uh, someone that, that you're comfortable subsidizing, you go right ahead. 
However, I am assuming Ian, that most of the folks watching this show are motivated primarily, not necessarily completely, but primarily by their own best self-interest. And that being the case, you and I've talked about, including last week, rents are up, I think, in the neighborhood of 15% just in the last 12 months in Metro Atlanta. And if that's the case, then it's time for me to do some rent raising. And the time to do that, of course, is when some of these leases come around. Is it pleasant? No. Can it be done? Yes. And, and this is why, and by the way, if anybody wants the nice rent increase letter, it's at peterburke.net. Um, and Peter will be happy to share that with anybody that wants it. But what I've tried to do is be respectful of people as tenants to thank them if they're good tenants and tell them that our costs have gone up because I don't know whose taxes have gone down, but mine have not. And I don't know whose insurance costs have gone down, but mine have not. And Lord knows if you've had to call a plumber or an electrician or a licensed heat and air contractor, I mean, their costs have gone up too. And they have to pass that on. So um, I just, I, I feel like, um, if you have a fabulous tenant who's been with you for years and years and they can't pay a penny more and you want to keep them there, more power to you. You have my blessing there. That's a, some sort of Catholic thing that they do. Um, and, and that's fine. But I intend to, for the most part, try to keep my rents just below market so they're still attractive, uh, but at the same time are yielding a revenue that is commensurate with the features and benefits of that property. Does that make sense? I think so, John. It not only makes sense, I've used the nice tenant increase letter and it's worked. And I think the good tenants get it. They appreciate being recognized as good tenants. They're willing to pay an increase and they stay and they're happy and you're doing repairs. They're happy and you're, you're keeping up. You also gave some tough love and said it was that person's fault that they kept the uh, rents where it was for the elderly lady. I get it. I'm hugely guilty of that too. Um, but I've learned I've sometimes got to look myself in the mirror and say, um, I, I got to raise rents. And so, uh, thank goodness it's a big tide going up right now and all ships are rising with, with the tide. Another, another stupid story about me, which you have heard before, but maybe some have not, but this shows you how, what gum comes around, goes around, comes around, I guess. Margie and I were in church one Sunday morning and the preacher invited a, a guest to come speak. And it was a, another preacher who was running the Decatur cooperative ministry. And he got up there and he said, look, we have a terrible situation where uh, people come to us and they need a place to live. And we are sort of their last resort for their becoming homeless. And would you in this church consider making a faith 
donation right now. And so I turned to Margie, and, and I guess this guy touched my heart. And for those of you that don't think I have a heart, I do. It's, you, it's, as, cold, it's as cold as ice, but it's there. It's a <laughs> and, good, warm heart. John, go ahead. And uh, um, so I turned to Margie, and she said, yeah, I think we should help. And we wrote a check for $500 uh, payable to the Decatur Cooperative Ministry. Well, I didn't think anything more of it. On Monday, I proceeded to file eviction against a couple who had moved into one of our rental houses and had only been there a couple of months and had never paid any rent. I think they did when they moved in, but that's it. And they were from the mountains. They were from um, Tennessee. And they, they didn't talk right. And they, I think they were sort of interbred or I don't know what they were. God. What? I said, be careful. Oh, they were not interbred. Or if they were, we don't know that. They didn't pay the rent. Let's, let's, they didn't so pay the rent. Like Thank you. Story. So I filed a dispossessory and apparently they got served. And within like 24 hours, we got a check for $500 from the Decatur Cooperative Ministry asking that's, us that's, that's, <laughs> asking us that's, that's, to stop all <laughs> dispossessory actions. And I just had to laugh out loud. So, <clears throat> so you much. Know what, John, you reap what you sow. And I, I so much go with the reap what you sow program because it just makes sense. It's uh, good things will happen if you put out enough work and effort. I guess so. Well, listen, um, I mentioned to you that I had found, uh, this is about a 12 minute video and it is from a, um, landlord tenant attorney in, I think Houston, Texas named Ernie, Ernie Garcia. Ernie, Ernie, this guy's good. Everybody, Ernie, he, wait, till how you do see you, wait, 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 Ian, how do you know this guy? No, you showed it to me, and I like this guy a lot. Everybody, you're in for a treat. This guy, just you watch him, and he makes you feel like he's right next to you, and he knows what he's doing. And well, great story. I thought this is some of the best advice I have ever heard. And even though he's in Texas, this is great advice for Georgia landlords. So let's let's go to the tape. Let's see what this is again. An attorney in Texas with, I think, good advice for all landlords. And we'll meet you right back here in about 12 minutes. Here we go. First, I got to share the screen. And now I got to play it. Here we go. Hello, landlord's attorney. I'm back. And today we're talking about our least favorite landlord, the know-it-all. Let's get started. I am in the middle of a series that I'm calling Landlord Lessons based on experiences that I've had in the court over the last 11 years. I hope you watch every single one of these because they will all be helpful. So when I'm thinking back on the kinds of situations that I've seen, uh, there's almost nothing worse than a landlord who interjects in an eviction proceeding 
beyond what is absolutely needed. I always give the following advice to uh, not just landlords, but every client that I represent in a trial or a deposition. I tell them the same thing. I say, your best answer is your shortest answer. If you can answer in one word, do that. And whatever you do, don't add information that was not otherwise asked of in your question. So many times we want to embellish or we want to explain a certain answer because we have so much information to give, but that's where we get ourselves in trouble, just like the landlord in today's story. So let me, let me set the picture for you. Uh, I was representing the tenant uh, who in this case uh, used to be the owner of the property. She had lost the title in a foreclosure because she had gotten behind on her mortgage and so now she was in the middle of an eviction proceeding and the attorney for the other side and i had you know attempted to work things out but his client simply wouldn't budge so we had lost the case on the jp level and now we found ourselves at the county court and we were presenting our case for the second time and i was presenting the same defense that i had presented the first time and had found unsuccessful and it had to do only with the notice to vacate. I believed there was a defect in it because of the language that the uh, counsel for the owner had used. I believe that it created an ambiguity that allowed my client additional time. The justice court disagreed with me, uh, but I thought, Meh, why not present the same argument to the county court? Now the owner who attended the first trial and who had been successful there thought that I had a terrible tenant and a terrible argument. In fact, uh, while we were outside prior to the trial, I, and I do this all the time, uh, was simply saying hi to the opposing counsel and um, letting him know that my tenant had arrived and that you know we'd be stepping inside the courtroom. I usually make a little small talk with opposing counsel. Uh, but the owner was there and he made it a point to tell me that uh, it was ridiculous that we were there in the first place and along with it being a waste of time um, I was doing a bad job representing someone who was not entitled to a defense Meh. well that's fine you can have that opinion but everybody's entitled to a defense and and so I think that mindset was the landlord's first error. So we go into the, the courtroom and uh, we begin the case and naturally because I'm representing the defendant, I go second. And so the plaintiff presents their case, the cause of action is based on a foreclosure and the notice to vacate was sent after the foreclosure was completed and my client failed to vacate. Pretty easy. There's no rent issue for the court to resolve. It really comes down to whether or not the plaintiff has a superior right to possession over the defendant, who was my client. So I proceeded to present my evidence of the defects with the notice to vacate. Again, I don't have any evidence to controvert the foreclosure. That just didn't exist. So while the plaintiff's attorney presented the entire case for the plaintiff. The owner decided he would interject uh, when it came to cross-examining the defense's evidence 
and our argument against the notice to vacate. And he gave three statements to the court. The three statements that I think ruined his case. We welcome your questions and comments as always to this video. What is it that you liked about it? Is there anything in particular that caught your attention? Tell me in the comments below what you think about today's video. So the first thing uh, this landlord wanted to tell the judge, I guess to impress her, was the following quote. I've been in real estate investment for 30 years. And then he proceeded to tell me how my uh, argument regarding the notice to vacate was totally wrong. Again, based on his experience as a real estate investor over the course of 30 years, which really has nothing to do with the status of the Texas Property Code or its requirements. But somehow he believed that this statement added some kind of, you know, bona fides, I guess, to his uh, argument or his uh, response. It didn't. Uh, nobody found that impressive and it didn't persuade the judge in any way. She continued to hear my argument and what I had to say about a particular clause in the notice, which I believed was misleading. So we're going back and forth and he comes back and he says, look, frankly, judge, I think you are, quote, misunderstanding the facts. Now he said this probably because the judge continued to ask questions about the meaning of this clause in the notice to vacate that was sent to my client. I'll tell you that it wasn't a standard notice to vacate. I don't believe this particular attorney did much eviction work. It seemed more like he was in the process of debt collection and perhaps this was one of the functions that he served for this particular client in the past, that he collected certain debts on his behalf because the language in the notice to vacate sounded very much like the kind of letter you might get which comports with a provision in the FDCPA or the Texas Debt Collection Act and not so much Chapter 24 of the Texas Property Code. Now, I recognize this in the letter and in those letters, there's always a provision, or generally, a provision that requests of the person receiving the letter if they have any questions or if they contest the validity of the claims in that letter that they have 30 days to write to the party who's making the claim and that the party will reach out to them in hopes of resolving whatever the complication is. Now, I argue that that statement alone didn't make for an absolute demand for possession, right? Which is what a notice to vacate should be, an absolute unconditional demand for the tenant to get out. Not, well, you have 30 days to ask questions and we'll get back to you and talk about this. So based on that, I, I made the argument that the notice was insufficient as a notice to vacate and the court was entertaining this argument. But again, the owner not counsel, but the owner had taken over the proceeding and said one final thing. Well, I just don't agree with the way you're taking this case. Not to me. He said it to the judge. And that's when she got really mad. She said, look, you really should let your attorney speak because I'm the one who makes the decision. In fact, I'm done, is what she said. She turned to me and said, what is it that your client is asking for? And I said, 
Your Honor, we're asking for attorney fees and for a judgment in favor of the defendant. She said, so granted. She banged her gavel and it was over. I submitted my order to the court. They signed it. So not only did he fail to get an eviction, he now owed my client all of her attorney's fees from the first proceeding and the second proceeding. So what am I saying? Am I saying that landlords should never participate? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying it's a very good thing for landlords to participate. But landlords, if, if you are stepping over your own attorney, if you are presenting more evidence than is needed, and definitely if you are condescending in any way to the judge, you can just expect things to go terribly wrong for you. You may disagree, but I don't know how many times I've had to tell my clients, stop talking. I literally whisper in their ear, just wait. And for the clients who have listened, that advice usually helps. It usually works to keep them from going just too far with the judge or saying just too much, right? But for those landlords who have not heeded that advice, sometimes you have a winning case that is sunk by the things that you say. Your landlord lesson today is, number one, listen to your attorney. If you and your attorney have a course of action, let the attorney follow it through. You can answer the kinds of questions that the attorney makes to you, but again, limit your answer. You know, brevity is the soul of wit. Keep your answer short if you can answer with a yes or a no, leave it at that. No need to add anything. Second, if you disagree with the judge, don't tell the judge. This is something that, that, that I fell prey to early on in my career. If I disagreed with the judge, I let the judge know. Your Honor, I think the property code says X, Y, and Z. Not once did I convince a judge. Not once did I convince a judge that they were wrong. Even if they realized they were wrong, not once did a judge ever reverse him or herself because I shared wisdom that they lacked prior to their ruling. So you always have the opportunity to appeal. You have motions you can file to undo, you know, errors in the law, but don't ever try to correct a judge. It's just not going to work. Finally, if you're failing to follow the law, the fact that you have failed to do it right numerous times in the past does not make it in and of itself correct. I don't know how many times I've had landlords tell me, but that's the way I've delivered notice forever and it's never been a problem. Again, that's just not true. The fact that you haven't been caught doesn't mean that you were doing it right in the first place. You should always be prepared if you have failed to follow the law for the law to go against you. And if it turns out that the court catches you on some error, just be prepared to represent your case either with a new filing or to present a different argument that is just as good. Leave that other argument out, especially if you know there's a defect in it. From time to time, I have clients come to the office and they have a defect in their notice or they have a defect in their pleadings. And I tell them outright, I don't believe you can be successful in the court. And they disagree and they proceed and then they lose. And then they come to me and say, 
all right, I need help, can you help me? And so if you can avoid that kind of waste, just do it. If you have a problem, again, just because you've done it wrong time and time again doesn't mean that the court is going to find that in any way persuasive. So I hope you have enjoyed today's video and I hope you've learned a little bit about the know-it-all landlord and how that know-it-all gets himself in trouble so often. Uh, if you can avoid it at all costs, avoid being that guy. If uh, you enjoyed today's video, please do not hesitate to give us a like. If you haven't subscribed yet, you're gonna find a picture with my face on it, uh, click on that and you can subscribe. There's also a video here that YouTube seems to think you will enjoy. Please click there, enjoy that video. And until next time, landlords, happy leasing. How's that for interesting? It was great. I thought so. I, this is, there are four things that I would like to highlight that I got out of this. And one of the things you have talked about, Ian, that I think is so important, we've got a bunch of landlords listening right now. Um, I wonder how many have actually visited an eviction courtroom and watched the proceedings because you will learn so much. Hey, folks, it's free. <laughs> you don't have to pay. I would caution you not to say anything unless you're spoken to. And if so, say, uh, I'm, uh, if, if a judge asks you why you're there, say, uh, just to observe your honor and, and don't say anything smart, Alec. But the four things that I took out of this and Ian, I'd love your thoughts. The first one, and this is Ernie Garcia, who again is not in Georgia, he's in Texas, but I really like his style. I like it's 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 very down to earth. He's not trying to impress you that he's an attorney. Um, and yet I think it's it's very helpful. The first thing he said was listen to your attorney. <laughs> the the attorney has more experience than you have. And even though you may have been doing this for 40 years, you're paying this person, if you are, you're paying them to present the case and you owe it to them to let them proceed the way they think it will best benefit you. They're there to promote and protect your interests. And like, like Ernie said, Everybody has a right to a defense. I think everybody has a right to a prosecution. <laughs> uh, what, you know, whatever. If, but if you're a landlord, don't try to take over the case. And if you are asked to speak, he said, brevity is the soul of wit. One word answers. I love that. Yes or no. If you can get by with one word, that's the proper answer instead of launching off on a long diatribe. Um, he said, number three, I love this, never criticize or demean the judge. Folks, if, if you've never been in a courtroom, and this is at all levels of our judicial system, um, 
judges hold, I think, a unique place in our society. It's real interesting. At the bottom of respect is real estate agents, used car salesmen, attorneys, and members of Congress. That is the very bottom in terms of public trust. You know what's at the very top? Judges. Okay. Americans have an inherent respect. I think it's part of our Judeo-Christian system that, that we just are raised to respect judges. And they're not perfect, but it's sort of like the umpire in a baseball game. Um, when the pitch comes across the plate, the umpire is going to make a decision as to whether or not it was a strike. It may not have been a strike, but if he says it was a strike, it's not going to do any good to argue with him because he's already called it a strike. And the same thing here is even if you disagree with the judge, keep your mouth shut because um, all you're going to do is make the judge angry, and that can't help you in any way. <laughs> so John, I know, you know these, you're right. When go I go ahead, Ian. What do you think? I, I find when you're in court, you're sort of on a spotlight. It, it's sort of every little action, every little movement is sort of multiplied. It's, it's kind of sad, but very real. It, it is a, it's a very awkward situation because when the judge enters the room and the the uh, um, whoever it is uh, magistrate says all rise or the, the bailiff, bailiff says yeah all rise it it's um, the bailiff the bailiff that's right I served as a bailiff one time <laughs> it was great I had a friend who was a, a traffic court judge and he said you want to be bailiff today and I said what does a bailiff do. And he said, well, when I walk in, you yell out, I'll rise for Judge Florence. This court is now in session, and uh, uh, you may be seated after I sit down. So I was. People started asking me questions. During the Sean, I never knew you had another hat. You've had many titles in your life, and now we add another one to the list, uh, John the Bailiff. I was a bailiff, and during that session, Ian, this is a true story. <sighs> a gentleman came into the courtroom wearing a hat that was it. It was like, are you familiar with, let's say, an admiral's hat where it goes yep. forward and backwards, but it's very thin. Yep. This, I swear, this guy had an admiral's hat on. And it had a very large plume coming out, sort of like a, a pirate might have, or perhaps a swashbuckler or something. And, and uh, the judge said, uh, everyone, please remove your hats. And this guy did not remove his hat. <laughs> and Judge Florence said to him, Excuse me, is there a reason that you are not removing your hat? Uh, he said, I want you to know I'm not offended, but the court is offended. And the guy said, well, I can't remove my hat. And the judge said, okay, $25 fine. Now, please remove your hat. <laughs> and, and he wouldn't. 
And Judge Florence fined him $100, found him in contempt of court, and had him ejected from the courtroom. Did we ever find out why he went to take off his hat? No, no, but it was a good-looking hat. I mean, you have to – I mean, I'm not in the habit of wearing hats, but I'm a a big fan like of Humphrey Bogart, who always wore hats and so forth. But if I had an admiral's hat that was – it must have been four feet long and a big plume, it was designed to generate respect. I got it. Okay, so maybe that's what he was trying to do, but maybe it would be good for Halloween. If 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 I were if I had addressed him, I would have called him Admiral. Okay. Well, John, I will tell you that I've never seen that in court, but for what Ernie was talking about, I would say this: that one thing I took away is interesting. We both picked up on the same exact quote: "Brevity is the soul of wit." And I'll tell you what, um, that, that made so much sense. But um, one thing I really appreciate about Ernie is he actually read the, 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 he knew what he was doing as an attorney. He read the complaint, if you will, and he saw that was written incorrectly. And wasn't that amazing that I think our listeners can take away from that is even though a attorney wrote the complaint, he wrote it wrong. And he, Ernie made a point to say that this guy was a collection attorney doing a landlord case, but he took his collection law rules or forms and tried to turn it into a dispossessory form. And he was wrong. And Ernie actually did what his job and the boring work of reading the prop, reading it. That is that that needs to be stressed because I've had people just like Ernie say to me, well, I've done it this way for years. Okay, I'm glad that you did it that way for years and never got got into trouble doing it. But as soon as somebody challenged it, we go right back to Georgia Landlord Tenant Code, and that is what will prevail eventually. And this is why we try to get our attorneys as we're Uh, Looking at changes in the killer lease, as we're looking at changes in the landlord survival guide, we try to stay up to date because sometimes, even though the law as written by the Georgia legislature has not changed, sometimes we will have a judge make an interpretation of that, which contradicts the way it was done before. So maybe the way you did it before was okay then, but guess what? It's not now. And it also, as you know, depends to some extent on which courtroom you're in and what judge before which judge you uh, have to make your case. Some are pro landlord, some are pro tenant, and some are right down the middle. And, uh, uh, well, it's so, funny you say that, John, because uh, many times when I talk to a tenant landlord attorney, they will say to me, which county? And it's interesting that they even know the judges per county. Of course, they will also need to know where they're going to be working and if they serve there, et cetera. But uh, you get to a point where you know what's going to happen in each individual courtroom with each judge. You might have the same exact case, but get two different answers and two different judges. 
Well, and it's interesting to me. I, I, I'm going to make a generalization here that perhaps I should not make, but I'm going to make it anyway, because in my experience, the, uh, even the magistrate court judges in the, what I'll call the core counties right inside and right around and touching 285 tend to be more uh, sympathetic to tenants and less sympathetic to landlord rights. And as you move further away from metropolitan areas into what you might call ex-urban or even rural areas, those judges tend to be more letter of the law, um, focused on property rights and what the law specifically says, because that's just the way they've always done it, and they don't see any reason to change it. So it is interesting. Each court does have a degree of autonomy, and if you don't like it, you can um, certainly appeal, but most people, I think, will find that the appeal process is so expensive, so onerous, so difficult, and it takes months, if not years, to get into superior court. Um, it's and, and it's very expensive, and you can't represent yourself. Um, and so I just think it, most people, it pays to learn how to deal at the magistrate court level because that's where the majority of these are resolved. Okay. Well, I, th I think John, you're bringing up a good point because the cost of going to court or to the next level is a strategy today. And I've had different people tell me it's just not worth the money for what you're going to get on the back end. Sometimes it is if it's a massive amount of money and sometimes it's not. Right. John, this, this might be totally off track, but I just want to share something that happened yesterday about the Supreme Court. I know we're in the middle of a major crisis on the other side of the world, but back here at home, um, I, I happen to be listening to when Biden had nominated a Judge Jackson and did a fine job on that. But the point was when she spoke, it was about three minutes. I cried. I, I was just amazed by how classy and how this lady got it. Every word out of her mouth was, I know what I'm doing. I know where I came from. I've earned it. I've, I've studied. I've worked hard. And, and she, she just, she deserved to be there. And I probably won't agree with 90% of what she comes down with on the court, but that's another story. But she was a good pick. I was just impressed. I, I know we're just talking about judges right now. No, I, th but, I, th I think it's, I think it is um, a tribute to Biden that he selected the candidates he chose each were seem to be to me, and I'm not an attorney and I'm certainly no expert, but each of the three from which he chose seemed to have powerful qualifications. Now I haven't, you know, looked into their rulings and so forth. One thing that did concern me was, um, there is a, um, um, a legal foundation called judicial watch and a gentleman named Tom Fitton, F-I-T-T-O-N, runs this judicial watch. 
And uh, it is a 501c3, and they solicit tax-deductible donations to force the government to abide by the Constitution. And uh, one of the th- and they were very active in the CDC issue. Um, they had sued the Justice Department five or six times over failure to produce documents. Um, this guy is a real pain in the ass of the Justice Department. He's, he's like a pimple on their butt that just won't go away. And his concern yesterday, he agreed with you. And he said, this woman has great qualifications, but he said, my initial review shows that many of her decisions have been overturned at the next level and that she continues to make these decisions even after she has been corrected, if you will, by a higher court. I, I, I just wonder to what extent she is going to, you know, she clerked for Breyer. Right. So she's and like they're the same ideology, probably. My sense is anybody who has chosen to clerk at that level is pretty sharp to begin with. I don't Absolutely. think you get, you don't get to where she is without being a very sharp person and perhaps a brilliant person. Um, but I am looking for justices of any race, creed, color, sex, religion, or place of national origin who are willing to look at what I believe to be the supreme law of the land and say, this is the basis of our republic. And I'm hopeful that she will be someone that I can support. And at this point, I just just don't know. But I'm with you. I, uh, I, I was impressed with her um, presence and uh, with her background and with her gravitas. And yep. I, if, I, I think if she is approved by the Senate, uh, she'll, I think, do a great job. Um, I hope. That's sort of my hope. So anyway, hey, guess what? It's 1.03. I want to do one thing before we leave. I want to remind everyone, watch this segue. Hmm. I got to go over here. I'm going to get there. Don't give up on me. Daggone it, you're giving up. Hello, landlord's attorney. I'm back. And today we're talking about our least favorite landlord. 23. There we go. All right. Ah, I want to remind everybody, um, we've got a webinar coming up this Wednesday, March 2nd, from 1 to 2 p.m. It's free, but you've got to register. Now, I lied. Right here it says you have to go to money99.com. Margie has informed me that you must go to realestatecoffeebreak.com. I have 100 seats. Um, Ian, as you know, routinely we exceed 100 places and people get turned away from the coffee break. This is going to be in the same room and it only has a hundred seats. So 
Folks, if you want to come, go to realestatecoffeebreak.com um, and register for free. Um, you can bring your friends and anybody you think is interested, but each person has to register separately. Here are some of the topics we're going to be talking about in a little more detail. Um, and this is going to be our first peek at the 2023 killer lease, uh, which is going to be coming out in the next seven days. So again, it's, I'm just sort of calling it what's new in 2022. Uh, but you have to go to realestatecoffeebreak.com. And finally, Ian, I want you and your lovely bride to consider coming on the Expo Cruise a year, actually 11 months from right now. So something for you to think about. And then I'm, the last thing we're going to do is get it in writing. <laughs> so fraud. It is time for us to go. Folks, that's a 3-0 mark for the John Adams radio, radio show. And on behalf of my evil twin, Ian Robbins, my co-host, this is John Adams reminding you your financial future is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. Make your choice a good one. So long, everybody.